the theme for this year is life is a church. And I know that's kind of, uh, kind of an odd title and an, an odd theme. And you may be wondering, what does that mean? Well, today I want to explain to you what that means. What's the big idea of life is a church? What is it that I'm trying to say? And what is it that I want our church to focus on this year? Last year, we focused on what a church was, what a, what a church was all about, how a church operated, the different parts of a church. By the way, what a great crowd here today, with, especially with everybody that's sick. And uh, maybe what you're fasting on is being sick, right? <laughs> you're going you're to fast and give up sickness for two weeks. That'd be a great thing, right? But we talked about the church and what it means and what it means to be a part of it. And, and this year, life as a church, what it boils down to, and I'll say this at the end of the sermon, how the church is supposed to be interwoven into your everyday life. And that may be a new concept for many of you. It may not be something you learn. Church may have just been something that you go to once a week to, uh, to get your, your spiritual um, redirection or to focus you and center you back. But what the Bible tells us is that church should be a central theme of our lives and our families, and our entire lives should be interwoven with the ministry and the focus and the teaching and the fellowship of the church. Let's read Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 37. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is Jesus speaking. Those, those have always been difficult words for people to understand and to accept because it seems as if Jesus is saying if you put your family before me in your life, then you're not worthy to be called my child. Let me explain to you what he's saying there. Exactly what I just said. If Jesus isn't first in your life, yes, even before your family, then you have your priorities wrong. Because Jesus must be first in your life. That's where everything in life emanates from. And if you have your priorities straight that Jesus is number one in your life, then you will be better at everything else in your life. And that's what he's trying to get across. And then he says this, and whoever doesn't, doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. If you achieve your goals, your dreams, your purpose, your great desire in life, but it's not what God has for you, then you have found your life in things, but you've lost your life with Jesus. But if you focus your life on him, following him, serving him, doing what he's called you to do, pouring yourself into ministry, pouring yourself into others for the kingdom of God, then you will have lost the life that you planned out for yourself, but you have found your life in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says this life is all about. <clears throat> Excuse me. The purpose of a church is described in a few different ways, sometimes ways that seem completely opposite and, and at the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. For example, there are times when we see church as a hospital. How many of you have ever... Uh, seen church or talked about church as being a hospital for the hurting, right? That's biblical. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So church is a place where we come and we seek a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he uses other people in our lives to help us heal from problems we've had. 
Maybe you're uh, trying to recover from addiction. Maybe you're trying to recover from uh, a struggle personally in your life or a failed marriage or uh, hurting friendships or the loss of a loved one. A great place to come to find healing, to find grace, and to find peace in your life is the church because that's, where, that's what Jesus said. This is where you will find those things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the church is described as filled with people who take armor on and prepare for battle. So you've got a place for the hurting and you've got a place for people who are going out to do damage. Now, that damage we're going out to do is to the forces of darkness to help build the kingdom of God. Okay? So it seems sometimes that it's on the opposite end of the spectrum. No matter what the purpose or how it's described, it's a fact that the church is to be a major and relevant part of the life of every believer, every true believer in Jesus. It's a place of teaching, of growth and unity, not a place of stagnation and dissension. When I say life is a church, what I mean is that your life, the one that you found in Jesus when you accepted him as your savior and received the gift of eternal life is to be, to be deeply connected with your local church. It is an expectation from Jesus that you be part of and be involved in a local church. Now those may be bold words coming from a pastor who leads a local church, but I'm going to be proving to you biblically and leaving it at your doorstep for you to investigate on your own that this is exactly what the Bible teaches. I know it's not popular, and I know that there are many different ideas and many different concepts of a church and many different attitudes. And people say uh, we, we find our, our, our purpose in other things. But that's not the way it's intended to be with Jesus. The life he has given you once you've accepted him as your savior is a life of purpose for his kingdom. And that purpose is lived out through a local church. <clears throat> now... The church draws its effectiveness from the lives of its members who are surrendered to the will of God and actively involved in accomplishing that will in the local church. No church will ever be successful for the kingdom of God if its members are not effectively living as if Jesus in his plan for their lives matters for all eternity. Unless you truly believe that the purpose that God has laid on your life that he created you for, and that when you accepted him as your savior was put into action, and your connection with this local church matters. Unless you truly buy into that, then your life will not be effective for the kingdom of God. Your life will not be effective for the kingdom of God. A church that is full of members who don't care about God's plan for their lives and, their etern and the eternity of their community members is not a true church. It's a social gathering of individuals with no true eternal purpose. In other words, church matters for your life. Hashtag, you see that? <laughs> Hashtag, church matters for your life. I thought that was kind of cool. 57-year-old man using a hashtag. Anyway, so this morning what I want to do is lay out the basics for what this is about. But what we're talking about when we say life is a church, what is, what's the point I'm trying to get across? The first thing I want to look at is the question, what is your life? What is your life? What does it mean? What is it about? 
What is your life? I, I watch a lot of uh, talk shows, a, a lot of uh, you know, shows that are more philosophical in nature and read a lot of articles and watch a lot of interviews in that area because that's really kind of applies to what I do and I want to know where people are at because the Bible says you need to, be, you need to have a ready defense for those who ask questions of you. And it seems like so many people today are in a hopeless state because they think that this is all there is. This is all that matters. That this one life is the only shot you have at happiness forever. And once this life is over, it's just nothingness. And there are churches that teach that, if you can, if you can believe that. And if that's all there is, what's the point in even being here? If life only matters as far as what happens in these years, then what's the point? So what is your life? Biblically, what does the Bible say your life is? James chapter 4, beginning of verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you, don't, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What, is your, what, will, what your life will be? For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say... If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What James is trying to say is if you follow your own pattern for life, if you have your own definition of what, what, life, of what your life matters and why your life matters, and you say, because I've only got this amount of time, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to plan this out so that I make myself happy, so that I reach my goals, so that I do what I think gives me fulfillment. But what James is saying to us is, that's not what God wants from you. Jesus Christ came down to this earth and died on a cross and gave his life a ransom for many. And he gave to you a life of purpose. And he gave to you a life of purpose here because he is preparing a place for you in heaven for all eternity. And he said, this life is not a life about fulfilling yourself and making yourself happy, finding your own truth, doing what you think, and, and, and finding, uh, finding your desire and your passion and fulfilling that. That's not what this life is about. This life is finding out where you fit in and the purpose and plan of God and fulfilling that. That's what he says. Rather than saying, I'm going to plan out my life and I'm going to accomplish my goals, what we should say is, God, what do you want my goals to be and how can I accomplish them? Well, how does that fit in with my life? Man, maybe, you're, maybe God simply wants your life to, to be what you're doing now, except with a different mentality. I'm going to be the, the, the brightest shining light of a Christian in the hospital in which I work. And I'm going to let others see me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the godliest business owner in my town. And as I go to meetings and as I meet others, I'm going to challenge them to be people of integrity and character because my life is all about integrity and character following Jesus Christ. And when I get the opportunity to share my faith with others, I'm going to. And I'm going to use my business or I'm going to use my job, I'm going to use my influence to reach out to those who are hurting and less fortunate for the kingdom of God because that might open up a door for me to share my faith with them. You see how the simple change in mentality and thought process changes the whole purpose? It's not about fulfilling your desire. It's about fulfilling 
the purpose that God has created you for, therefore giving your life meaning and fulfillment. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 19 and 20 say, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. And he has given you eternal life. And if this life didn't mean anything for eternity, then he would have taken you to heaven when you accepted him as your savior. But he's left you here so that your life will matter and will challenge others to seek him. It may not work all the time. You may have people, anybody have people in their life that you've tried to witness to and they just totally reject what you have to say? Call it foolishness. Say, that's ridiculous. I don't want anything to hear about it. Please don't ever. Anybody had anybody say, please don't ever talk to me about that Jesus stuff again? I have. You know what I do? I pray for another opportunity to talk to him about that Jesus stuff. Okay? That's not to be, that's not to be uh, antagonistic or cantankerous, but what that answer from them is, is Satan gripping onto their heart saying, I'm not going to let you go without a fight. So I put my armor on and fight back. Not as a, not as a, a jerk about it, but I'm not going to give somebody up for, the, for all eternity just because they don't like what I have to say. I'm going to pray for them. And God will open up the door at some point, I believe, to share my faith with them. Five, five things that your life is. Your life is a gift from God. Your life is a gift from God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that when you wake up in the morning and you can breathe in and breathe out, that that's a gift from God. Don't ever forget that when you can wait. I, I remember, I've said this before, I remember an old man at the gym one day, I said, how are you doing today, sir? And this guy was in his 90s. He says, listen, every morning I wake up and I do this. And if I don't hit wood, I'm happy. <laughs> Thought, well, that's a good way to look at life. If I'm not in a coffin, then I'm still breathing and I still got a purpose, right? Your life is a gift. Just remember that. God has given you the gift of life every day to do something. Oh, but Pastor John, the world, this and that. <sighs> the world only ruins your day if you let it. Other people only ruin your day if you let them, Right? Satan only ruins your day if you let him. So if you wake up and you see today as a gift from God, you say, God, I'm going to use this day. I'm going to face every challenge. I'm going to face every struggle. And that includes getting up in the morning and getting your kids off to school. That includes getting up in the morning and dealing with your grumpy spouse. No, I'm, I'm the grumpy spouse. I'm trying to preach to my wife here just a second. That's truly why I didn't give up coffee, because I didn't, I didn't want a steak knife in my eye. <laughs> okay, but there's also, that, that includes getting up and going to work with a smile on your face, knowing that God has given you another day to provide for yourself, to provide for your family. You see, if we see life as a gift, rather than seeing life as a, as a point of turmoil, then we understand God has something for me. The second thing is, your life is an opportunity for God. 
Not for you to serve God. Your life is an opportunity for God. He can use you, if you will let him, he can use you to build his kingdom. He can use you to encourage somebody. He can use you to reach somebody. He can use you to love somebody. Your life is an opportunity for God. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you just say, God, what will you do? What do you want to do with me today? I'm yours. Please just use me today. The third thing is, your life is a sacrifice to offer for God. Some of you have amazing talents and abilities. You have great gifts. And you are able to do amazing things for others. You are able to do amazing things to provide for your family. And maybe, just maybe, you should take those gifts and say, God, thank you for these gifts. I want to use them to bring glory to you. I want to do these things for others, not for my own personal satisfaction anymore, but I want to use them to shine a light for you. And I want to do things for other people to shine a light for you, to bring glory to your kingdom and to open up doors of opportunity to share my faith. Your life is a tool to serve God. You have this one life. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to fulfill your own desires or are you going to serve God and make a difference for him? That's why he created the church. So that you can get involved in a centrally located place and reach your community for Jesus Christ. And your life is gifted to be used by God. <clears throat> in other words, as a follower of Jesus, your life is his. As a follower of Jesus, your life is his. Well, that's what a life is. Second thing I want to look at is, what is a church? Now, we spent a lot of time last year talking about the church, but so a lot of this is going to be reviewed. But what is a church? The church's purpose is found in several different verses. Matthew 18, uh, 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ever wonder why we offer Bible studies here? You ever wonder why I preach? You ever wonder why we have children's ministries? Why we have worship time? It's because we want to grow you in your most holy faith. And we want to give you opportunities to connect with Jesus Christ. When I pray throughout the week about my message, I don't just pray for my message, I pray for the worship time as well. Because the worship time is what prepares us to receive the word. If you think of a farm, the worship time is taking the plow out and digging up the ground and making it receptive to the seed. Some of that ground, if, you have a, if you've ever had a garden or if you ever broke ground for the first time for a garden, that ground is pretty difficult many times to break up. So are we sometimes when we come in on Sunday morning, right? We've had a rough week. It's very difficult to break up that ground and get us ready to receive the word. Can you imagine if you just walked in here cold turkey on some Sundays? You know what I'm talking about, right? Those Sundays that have been miserable, and they're miserable right up until you pull into the church parking lot, you reach around and smack your kid for the last time and say, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, okay? And you say, knock it off, we're at church. In other words, put on a happy face so everybody sees us as a bright, shining family. 
and you walk in the door and you expect, you expect to be receptive to the word with that attitude, man, that's what worship is about. Because the Bible says, let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I pray those verses when I pray for our service. God, let us, let us enter your gates as a, as a church community with thanksgiving. Let us enter your courts with praise and let us offer up to you a sacrifice of praise worthy of you. And God, would you receive our offering of worship and would you inhabit our praise and meet with us, God, because we need you on Sunday morning. We need you to to calm our spirit, and to bring us to a place where we are ready. Boy, I think the worship team has one of the hardest jobs in the church because they, they, face, cold, they face a congregation cold turkey. And it's their job to bring us to the throne of God. It's their job to help break up that soil so that we'll be ready for the seed of the word to be planted in our lives where it can grow and bring forth fruit. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. You know what that means? You know what that's saying? That the first century church loved to hang around each other. They loved to be a part of each other. They loved to be connected with each other. They loved to be together in church, but also to be together outside of church. They loved to fellowship. Why? Because we draw strength from other brothers and sisters in Christ. You ever wonder why you feel cantankerous and you feel discouraged and you feel a little bit salty when you've been out of church for a while? It's because you haven't been connected to the source of Jesus Christ manifested through his people. Well, that's kind of bold of you to say that. No, I, I know because I've been there. I've been there. When I was in the military, hardest time to stay positive. I was, I was deployed to uh, Germany for three months. No, no churches there. When I was out in the field, there was no churches for six weeks. And I'll tell you, the guys, the, the guys I was stationed with, they weren't sunshine and Jesus. It was pretty rough. I missed my, my fellowship with God's people. That's what a church... It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we make connections with each other and we develop friendships. Most of us wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for church. If it wasn't our commonality in Christ, we wouldn't know each other for, for the most part. In fact, if it wasn't for our commonality in Jesus Christ, I wouldn't even be here today because my family moved up here in 1976 because of Jesus. Because my dad moved from Maryland to pastor a church, to, to start and pastor a church here. So our commonality comes from Jesus Christ. We need to be connected together. The first century church, they drew their strength from each other from being in church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some of prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's plan, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Our purpose here is to, my, my purpose is to lead a ministry that provides opportunities for you to grow, to connect and grow in your faith, not in your social life, 
in your faith. Your social life will come along with that because you'll be connected with Christians. And there's nothing sweeter than sitting down and talking with Christians about ministry and about faith. But it's to give you opportunities to grow in your faith, to connect in your faith. If you've never been involved in a good Bible study that is run as a Bible study, man, it's an awesome time. Especially if you've got a, a, a teacher or facilitator, as we call them now, who does back and forth with the students and, and allows people to talk. I love hearing other people's takes on the Word of God. I've learned so much from other people in Bible studies, even if I'm the one that's teaching the study, from hearing how they apply this to their lives and how they, they, they activate it in their faith. It's so cool. It's so cool to hear those things. And that's what church is all about. That's what connecting with people in your faith is all about. And that's how you grow. The dynamics of church include constancy in life and eternity. Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, I don't care what happens. I don't care who attacks our church. I don't care who attacks the people of our church. If we stand strong in Jesus Christ, this church will stand. Okay? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because Jesus promised that my church will stand. Now, that includes outside of here as well. Church is outside of this place. We worry about, uh, about the church becoming irrelevant. It's only going to be irre irrelevant if, if it becomes irrelevant to you. Long as the church stays relevant in your heart and in your life, the church will continue to be relevant. Now, we look at the universal church, and we see that if we stay active and we keep our church strong and keep connected to other churches and encourage ourselves with the work of other churches, then, our church, then the church of Jesus Christ will stand strong. Jesus promised that hell will never prevail against the church. Never. We must stand strong. Church is constant. If the time ever comes where you fall away, or you know someone who will, the church will always be here, whether it's this church or another, to welcome you back in. Our job is not to judge others and put them out and say, never again will you be part of a church. Our job is to bring people to a place of re repentance and restoration. Repentance if it's needed and restoration if it's needed. Church is a hospital. <clears throat> Another dynamic of the church is that it's a commandment from God. In Hebrews 10, 25, not neglecting to gather together as some of, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, if you have a brother or sister in Christ that encourages you not to go to church, that is not somebody you should be using in your life for uh, help in your spiritual growth. There is no spiritual, uh, no scriptural uh, support for not being a part of a church. It's just not there. You cannot find in the Bible scriptural support to say, well, I don't have to go to church. I worship God in my life. I worship God at home. Well, so do I, but it still doesn't mean you don't go, you're not supposed to be connected to a church. That's clear scriptural teaching that church is supposed to be part of your life and you're supposed to be connected to a church. Another dynamic is that church is a connection of your source, of yourself, 
with God's purpose. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among you. If we, God promises us, if we come together to worship him, he will meet here with us, whether there's two or three. Man, there was a time when this church was down to 19 people. 19 people. And when Zach was, uh, Zach was, uh, we'd talk about it, and he'd say, you know, Dad, I wonder if we should cancel this. You know, cancel this activity or this and that. I said, Zach, if one person shows up, we're going to have church. Because God promises that if, if I'm there with somebody else, he's going to be there in, my, in our midst. And he's going to have a blessing for us. God doesn't, doesn't judge the way he blesses a church based on its people count. God blesses how he judge, how he's going, judges how he's going to bless a church based on how connected they are to him and to his purpose. Don't be discouraged just because uh, you may not think that they, we're not as big as, as we need to be. And I, I know on the same token, there are other people who say, uh, I remember when we were real small, people would say, oh, I don't want our church to grow. I like it the way it is. Well, it doesn't... That's not fulfilling the purpose of a church, man. Go back to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're supposed to go out and win people to Christ and bring them in and grow them so that we can then make disciples of others. Because when you say, I don't want my church to grow, what you're saying is, I don't care. Not, you're not literally saying it, but the attitude is being conveyed. I don't care if people die and go to hell. As long as my church stays small. That doesn't make sense, and it's not spiritually accurate. Fourthly, church is a commitment to a community of fellow believers. Quickly, there's five levels of commitment. Your, your attendance and your, your becoming part of a church, of a local church, is a commitment to a, to a group of believers. Now, I know a lot of us, are here, a lot of us here are, are very new. In fact, back here we have Joan LaPrade, who Joan was a member here for since the 90s, right? Vin and, Vin and Joan came here in the 90s, and they were here for a long, long time. And Joan now goes to another church with her family. And uh, Joan was very instrumental in the growth, of my, uh, the, the growth of my wife and her walk with the Lord. And I dare say that if Joan were to look around and, and introduce herself, most of you wouldn't know her, and you wouldn't know, she wouldn't know most of you. Because there's a lot of new people. And that's the same for a lot of people here. You know, you look at Charlie Bushy, who's been here for, you know, as long as, long as dirt. And um, so many people. There's a lot of people that, that we don't, and a lot of you don't know a lot of people because you're very new here. And you're just starting to get your feet wet at new life, and you're just starting to figure out where it is that you want to get involved in what God has for you. So it's a perfect time to be looking at this. Perfect time to be looking at what church is supposed to be and what church is supposed to do for me and what I'm supposed to do for, do for church and how it's supposed to matter in my life and how deep of a commitment you're going to be willing to make. There are five different levels of commitment I want to share with you for those of us who come to church. The first level is the community. And the community level is simply this. It's people who attend occasionally. Every church has people like that. We have people like that. That's where we get the, the number of uh, over 200 people that call themselves new lifers. They don't hear, they're not here on Sunday morning, but there are people who, when they go to church, they go to new life. 
So that's called being part of the community. Then we have the crowd. The crowd is people who attend on Sunday but aren't really involved. And maybe that's you. Maybe you found new life and you're here on Sunday and you've never really dug into what the church is and where, where you are to be and, and whether or not you really trust that you can be involved. Because quite honestly, in the churches you were in in the past, you were hurt deeply. I get that. That's why we're, that's why we're really not hard sell on, um, on pushing people. I will never come to you and say, hey, listen, you need to be involved here. I will pray for you. I will encourage you through messages and through preaching to get involved. And when the Holy Spirit works on your heart and you're ready to get involved, you'll reach the next level of commitment, which is being part of the congregation. Congregation are people who are faithful to church and have limited involvement. Maybe you, you get involved in some of our outreach events or, or uh, you, you help with the food pantry or you, you do different things in the church, but it's a limited involvement. It's not uh, all in yet, but you're getting there and you're getting there and things are starting to ruminate in your life and it's starting to work. You know, it's starting to, starting to dig into you and you're starting to say, hey, you know what? This church stuff is not as bad as I made it out to be. And understand one thing, especially those of you who don't, don't know me very well. I'm very honest, and I speak about, I, 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 I talk about the elephant in the room all the time. Because if I'm willing to broach the topic, it gives you permission and comfort to be able to talk about it. Does that make sense? And I know many of you have come from a church situation where it wasn't the greatest in the world. Remember, I've been doing this for 57 years. I've been in church for 57 years. I've seen all kinds of different churches. I've seen people abused in church. And it takes a long time for, for people to accept the fact that churches abused people in their church, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually. They weren't concerned about the growth of the individual walk with the Lord. They were concerned about the outward appearance and browbeat people into doing and looking the right way rather than living it in their lives. See, I believe when you start making that commitment and you start to fall, to truly fall in love with Jesus and you start to see that, man, that was awesome. Serving those people at that dinner, oh, that was awesome. Watching those kids' faces and being able to tell people that this is what my church is about, boy, that was awesome. As you start to, to, to feel that and it starts to grow in you, it takes you to the next level of commitment. And that is the level of the committed. It's people serious about growth and serious about serving. Man, they want to grow in their faith. They get involved in a Bible study and they're all about serving. What can I do? Where can I get involved? And man, once you get people, once you get that ball rolling, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. It just grows and grows and grows and grows. And now you get to the fifth level, which is the core. And the core level of commitment is people who are involved in, I mean, they're just, they're all in. They're all in. If they're asked to be part of leadership, they're part of leadership. If they're asked to fill in, they fill in. They do it with a great attitude. Whatever they're asked to do, they'll, they jump into it. And they begin to pray and ask God to open doors for, of ministry for them because their trust is in Jesus Christ and they know that he will not lead them astray. They don't look at me and say, ah, I can trust John beyond, I can just, I can trust Pastor John more than I can trust anybody. Uh, listen, I, I don't want you to put that kind of faith in me. 
You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he'll give you opportunities and help me to facilitate your opportunity to serve. But don't put your faith in me, because I'm just a man. For crying out loud, I'm a Rams fan. Okay? should put your trust in Johnny Aubrey, Titans fan. He's a Titans fan. Only Titans fan in New England. And that's why he's had death threats. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. And that brings us to this last one, and we'll go through this quickly. The life church connection. We've talked about what your life is, and we talked about what a church is. Now we want to see how those connect. And this is where we get the idea of life is a church. Where does the life church connection come in? Romans 12 through one, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are each individuals. Each one of us are individuals. Individual likes, individual dislikes, individual abilities, individual talents, individual lives. We have individual lives, we have individual talents, we have individual goals, hopes, and dreams. We are each individuals, but because of what we said earlier, because of our commonality in Jesus Christ, we are connected. We're each individuals, but we're connected. Some are more progressive in their mentality, and they... they uh, they, they love the way things have gone and they, they are, they're free in the way they live and they're not, I'm trying to use the right words so as not to offend, and they have tattoos and different things like that. They've, they've, they just see life differently, right? And, and then there are others who are more reserved and more conservative. And there are those who are right in the middle, we need everybody in church. Why? Because the world is made up of unique individuals, right? The world is make, made up of people who color their hair different colors. And the world is made up of people like me who would have to use magic marker. <laughs> we're all each individuals, but we're all connected. And there's something that connects us, and that connection is Jesus Christ. And that connection is there for a reason. And that connection all comes together in a local church. Because Paul describes each of us as a different part of the body. You realize that? Paul doesn't say you're all a body. He says each one of you is a different part of the body. Jesus Christ is the head. But each one of you is a different part of the body. Some of you might be part of the foot. Some of you might be a toe. Some of you might be the hand. Some of you might be the heart. Some of you might be the shoulders. I don't know what part of the body God sees you as. But he says each one of us is part of a body. Why? Because we each have a distinct and different purpose. We've been created that way. Why? Because God has established the local church to reach his world. That's why Jesus made such a definitive statement. Hell itself, Satan himself will not destroy the church. But that church 
will not be effective or as effective as it can be until it comes together complete. How does that body come together as complete? When we, the individual members of the body, come together and are complete. Does that mean we're only complete on Sunday mornings? No. I heard a pastor preach that. That's silliness. We come together and are complete in our commitment to a common cause. We come together and we're complete in the fact that we claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and we say, I want to serve him and I want to be effective in ministering for him and I want to do it through New Life Church. And this is where I plant my flag. And this is where I'm going to serve and this is where I'm going to live out my purpose. And I'm going to be an effective part of the body. You don't have to be the whole body, although some of you feel like you do. You're not designed to be the whole body. You're designed to be the part that God has called you to be. Let that take the stress off of you. You're not designed to do it all. I'm not designed to do it all. I told Mike and the guys that are doing the, the men's ministry, I said, listen, I'll be there for breakfast, but after that I'm going to walk away. Not because I don't like these guys, but because I think they need the freedom to be able to do their thing without the pressure of having the pastor there. Well, you think a lot of yourself, no, I don't. But you know as well as I do, because I used to do the same thing, that you stand a little taller and watch your language a little bit more around the pastor. Can I get an amen? amen. Absolutely. Somebody say oops. <laughs> My wife said oops. Great. Okay. Therefore, I need to let those parts of the body operate with freedom so that they can do their thing. We have a Brazilian connection. Part of, the, part of the tongue, because it speaks a different language. I'm not going to go there and tell uh, Osvaldo how to run that ministry. I can't. I don't speak their language. But I love watching them do their thing for the kingdom of God. We're all connected in our commonality for a purpose. We're going to go quickly here because we need to finish up. The connection that makes a church effective is when each individual realizes their potential, purpose, responsibility, and need in their local church and commits themselves to making that possibility a reality. That's when we see the life-church connection. Let me read that again. The connection that makes a church effective is when each individual realizes their potential, purpose, responsibility and need in their local church and commits themselves to making that possibility a reality. That's when we see the life church connection happen. You can know it, but until you make it, uh, until you commit to it, it's not going to happen. I'm so excited about what I see among our people, seeing people come together. I mean, you know, just, just when we have different activities, we, when we had the, the, the dinner for uh, those, the, the homeless vets and those from the homeless shelters, to see people come together and on the fly, am I right? Those of you who are on the fly, make a plan, make a plan and make it work. And then find out there were other people in this. And we it was amazing. And people running back and forth, so it was, it was incredible the life church connection coming together to get things done for the kingdom of God. Did that have a purpose? Did that have a result? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what I mean 
when I say life is a church. That's what I mean when I say life is a church. When your life is connected to Jesus Christ and the ministry of your local church, life is a church. We'll be talking about that a lot this year. Talking about how you can get involved and what your, what your area of involvement should be, what your level of involvement should be, what God wants to do with you and what he can do with you. This isn't your grandparents' church anymore because it's not your grandparents' society anymore. It's a different world we're dealing with, so we have to have different strategies, different options, different mentalities, all centered on the word of God. I'm excited about what God has for us this coming year. I'm excited about what God is going to reveal to you over the next two weeks as you fast. I'm excited to hear Osvaldo preach next week. I'm excited to hear Zach preach the week after. And I'm excited to hear uh, what God has done for you over the next two weeks because you spent two weeks fasting and praying and seeking the leadership of God in your life and finding out what he revealed to you. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I love my church. And when I say that, it's not that I love the building. I love my church, the people of my church. And I can't wait to see what God has, God has for you and for us collectively. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house today, the opportunity to be here and to learn about your word, to dig into the Bible and, and uh, read what you have for us and to see what you want to do with us, in us, and through us. Lord, as we prepare to embark on a, uh, a two-week adventure of fasting and seeking you, Lord, I pray for your, uh, your power, your enduring power, your anointing on each and every member that is involved. God, I pray for supernatural understanding, and I pray for leadership from your Holy Spirit to give us the understanding we need. God, out here is someone who's got a key idea for reaching a certain group of people this year. Would you open up their minds and show them that? Out in this congregation, God, or listening to us on Facebook, God, is someone who has uh, a key understanding of how to make something work that will unlock a door of possibility for this church this year. And they're gonna find that this week if they seek it, Lord. Would you reveal that to them? And God, would you just... Uh, Give us understanding and leadership as we follow you and seek you out. Would you bless us as we go from this place? God, would you give us your passion and your understanding and send us out as worshipers to reach out to this world, a place that's lost and dying in need of you. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>